0: We all have pictures in our minds of Jesus, don't we? Hey, you know when you say, "Jesus, what, what did Jesus look like? What, what did Jesus do? We all have this image in our mind of, of what that might be. Well, our stage is filled this morning with pictures, images of Jesus. Some are great, some are not. Uh, I, the, the thing is I've just been thinking of this over the last five weeks, is for all of us, our image of Jesus is flawed, right? We all kind of make him into our own image, but Jesus is someone incredible. He's somebody that when we read his biographies, it it really changes and shapes the way that we look at him. for the last four weeks, we've been talking about who Jesus is and, and just trying to clarify what the world thinks from what the Bible describes. We talked originally about how Jesus interacted with religious leaders. That you would think that Jesus, in his interaction with religious leaders, would think, oh man, this is great. These religious leaders are interested in my teaching, that he would have, he would have celebrated that interest, he would have done that. But that wasn't Jesus, right? That was not my Jesus. He called out the religious leaders. And said, man, you've got it all messed up. You've got this system in your mind that you think is right, that you think that by being good enough, by obeying all the rules, by, by um, doing all the right stuff, that that will make you right with God. That's not it at all. But for religious leaders who were seriously um, consumed with finding the truth out about God, Jesus gave himself, he answered their questions, he led them into truth pretty incredible thing when when you think about that we talked about how jesus interacted with people who were pursuing him people who said i i want to figure this jesus guy out they weren't religious leaders they weren't priests and all that kind of stuff. they were just normal people like us um and and with people who were pursuing jesus who said yeah i want jesus what you uh, what you have what you're talking about jesus said you know what um if you want that, you've got to give up everything to follow me. You would think that Jesus would have said, oh yeah, that's great, glad that you want to have a relationship with me. You know what it's going to be like? You're going to see miracles, you're going to see crowds, you're going to, uh, every bad thing in your life is going to go away. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to give up everything for me. Forsake it all. That was, that was crazy. That's a different picture of Jesus. We, we, we talked about how Jesus interacted with broken people. That you would think that Jesus would have thought, you know what, I don't have time to mess with people whose lives are so, so messy. You know, who, who have ruined it, who have had it ruined. I don't have time to invest in them. Because there's no real return for somebody whose life is broken, right? There's no, there's no upside for that. It's only going to be given. Only going to be given. Not my Jesus. Jesus looked at broken people, and said, I can bring healing into your life. I can bring a fresh start. That's my Jesus. And we, and we talked last week about how Jesus interacted with people who were just oblivious to him. People who were going through life, living their life, doing their stuff, not paying any attention at all. And you would think that Jesus would have thought, you know what, if you don't have time for me, I don't have time for you. I'm not, not going to give you any of myself. But that's not my Jesus. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went to people who were oblivious, who were just living their lives. And he, uh, he went to them. He interacted with them. He started a conversation with them to say, you know what? You don't have to keep living the way that you're living. You can experience change, change in every aspect of your life. Pretty incredible thing. Why, why is that important? We're talking about these pictures of Jesus. We want you to have we all want to have a clear image of who Jesus is. And I, I, we've got something that we want to give away this morning. When you leave today, uh, stop by the kiosk out in the hallway, and we want to give you a copy of the DVD of the Jesus film. Um, it it um, it from the biographies of Jesus. It puts them into film the picture of Jesus' life from the time that he was born until the time he ascended into heaven. It will allow you to not just get a narrative, but but to see from the biographies of Jesus what who Jesus was, how he interacted with people, and what the Scripture says. Um, it, it's so important to have that to be able to have the right kind of picture of who Jesus is. All you need to do is go back to the kiosk after the service and say, hey, can I have a copy of, 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 the, of the DVD? You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to you know, pledge your firstborn, anything like that. It's just a gift for you to help have the right kind of picture of Jesus. Why is that right picture of Jesus so important? It's because everything rises and falls on something, right? Right? In every aspect of life, everything rises and falls on some truth, on some um, piece of evidence, on some image or whatever. Uh, It's no secret if you're around here, I'm a football fan. A a football coach will say, you know what? You know what the key to everything in winning football is? It's the ability to run the football. Because if you can run the football, that opens up the pass downfield. If you can run the football, your defense is going to be rested and raring to go when they get on the field. If you can run the football, you're not going to have turnovers. If, if you're a baseball manager, what, what, what's the key? It's pitching, right? You know what? If my starting pitchers are better than your starting pitchers, if my middle relievers can keep us close in the game, if my closers are lights out, we're going to be really successful. Home runs put fans in the sands, but pitching wins championships. Everything depends on something. Everything um, rises and falls on something. Most historians would say uh, the, the Battle of Gettysburg is the pivotal moment in the Civil War. That everything rises and falls on, a, on those few days at Gettysburg. That if the South had been able to come up the side of, of a little big top and, and flanked the Union and won that battle, that North America would look very different today than it does. Everything rises and falls on something. Scientists... Everything rises and falls on their ability to replicate uh, an experiment and to get the same result time after time after time. Controlled environment. Do that experiment, get the same result. Uh, uh, Historians struggle that they work to find first person eyewitnesses so that they can have clarity about an event or a person's life. Everything rises and falls on those eyewitnesses. For some people who are religious or who are spiritual, they might say everything rises and falls on faith, the ability to believe in something or someone that you can't see or touch. That may be true of lots of religions, lots of worldviews, but it's not true of Christianity. If you're a follower of Jesus... Everything rises and falls on what we celebrate this morning, the resurrection of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you have a great moral compass. It doesn't matter if you're a good person. It doesn't matter if you obey the Ten Commandments. It doesn't matter if you stand up for those who are oppressed. It doesn't matter if your parents had you baptized when you were an infant. The only thing that really matters is whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection is the whole shebang. It is the whole ball of wax. It is the whole nine yards. The resurrection is the whole enchilada. And enchiladas are a lot more fun to eat than balls of wax or nine yards of anything, right? The reality is Jesus came back to life three days after he died. That is everything. That's the whole enchilada. This morning there are sunrise services um, all over the world. There are sunrise services on the steps of the the Lincoln Memorial. There are sunrise services on the the lip of the Grand Canyon. There are sunrise services in the shadows of the Garden of the Gods in Colorado. There are sunrise services on the beach of the Atlantic Ocean. There are sunrise services at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, at uh, at churches in Moscow and Manila, in Tokyo. In Beijing, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is being celebrated in all kinds of denominations, all kinds of churches today. Why is that? You know, the Quran talks about Jesus more than any other person than Muhammad. And Muslims believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was an incredible teacher. They believe that he did miracles. They believe that he was a prophet. They believe that he's going to return from heaven at the end of time. But they don't recognize the crucifixion or the resurrection of Jesus. Jewish historians are clear that Jesus was a real person. But most Jews don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They don't celebrate his death or his resurrection. If Hindus or Buddhists or atheists celebrate Easter... The only thing they celebrate is about chocolate bunnies and eggs and springtime. So why is it that we're here this morning? What is it that we're here to celebrate? Why does the resurrection matter so much? One of the religious leaders from the first century said it this way with these words. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and the resurrection because they're already dead in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. A very literal translation of what that writer, Paul, wrote in the Greek is this If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died, have perished. If we've hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Paul says, you know what? If the resurrection didn't happen, we'd be stupid to live the life that Jesus demands. If the resurrection didn't happen, when we die, life is over The implication is if that's the case, we might as well live for our own pleasure every minute of the day. It would be worthless to think about anyone except yourself, making yourself safe, comfortable, and happy. Towards the end of that section of of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he actually said this, which is really interesting. He says, "If if I fought wild beast in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, Paul was put in an arena to fight for his life. If I fought wild beast in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if the resurrection is true, if the resurrection is real, what then? All of Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection. Yeah, can, we, can we just take a few minutes this morning and kind of review the setting that leads up to Easter morning? For, for three years, the carpenter from Nazareth, Jesus, had turned Galilee and Judea upside down. He had taught and done miracles in a way that made him a part of countless conversations around the dinner table in that part of the world. Countless conversations in the synagogue. Many had seen him do miracles. Many had been healed by him and seen his healings. Many had been challenged by his teaching. Many looked at him and thought, maybe he's the Messiah, the one who will change everything. And on a certain Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem and the entire city came out to celebrate him. There was a parade. People shouted, Hosanna. They threw down their coats in front of him. But with his arrest, On that Thursday night, four days later in the Garden of Gethsemane, everything changed dramatically. He went from from being a hero to being a heel, from a place of honor and recognition to one of humiliation and derision. Think about the despair that had to overwhelm Jesus and everyone who followed him. One of the guys that he had poured three years of his life into betrays him, in person, looking him in the eye with a kiss on the cheek. And immediately after that happens and the guards come to arrest him, the other 11 guys that Jesus has poured himself into for the last three, three and a half years, they vanish. They run away, scared and frightened by the guards. Jesus is taken before the highest leaders in his religion, the Jewish high priest. And they put Jesus through a mock trial with false accusations and, um, and sentence him to death. They, they want his execution. In that setting, one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest friends, denies that he even knew Jesus three different times. And he did it in a place that was within close proximity of where Jesus was. The last time, so adamantly, that it creates this scene, and Jesus looks over at him. Their eyes lock. As he says, I don't even know that man. When his followers woke up on Friday morning, they discovered that Jesus had been taken to politicians to determine his fate. They had to think, it can't be that bad. That, it can't be that bad, right? Just, just a few days ago, he was riding into town, he was a hero. Not one, but two different political leaders question Jesus. And they declare him innocent but they don't release him. One of those guys, after admitting Jesus is not guilty, publicly disavows himself from the process. He said, I'm not going to be a part of this. And he gives, okay, he gives his okay for Jesus' execution, knowing and saying he's not guilty. Jesus is beaten beyond recognition, his flesh torn open by whips embedded with pieces of bone and stone. He's marched through the streets that where he'd he'd been paraded and cheered for just a few days earlier in humiliation. His clothes are stripped off of his body and he's nailed to a cross. The crowd makes fun of him and mocks him and nails him to a cross. Even the two thieves who are being executed beside him make fun of him. You know the scriptures are very scant about the followers of Jesus at, uh, at the crucifixion. It mentions the women who had cared for him, and it says that they watched from a distance. We know that John was there, but there is no mention made of the other ten disciples who remained at Jesus' crucifixion. It isn't after it isn't until after Jesus died and an earthquake happens that the Roman guard says. Surely this guy was the son of God after he's dead. Do you have a sense of the level of despair that enveloped the city of Jerusalem that weekend? There were the people who had, who had stirred up the mob, and they were happy. They wanted blood. But then there was a city full of people who had pinned their hopes on Jesus that had to go home from that execution and think, nothing is ever going to change If the story ends on Friday night with Jesus dead and buried in the tomb, the picture at the foot of the cross is only one of despair. A great teacher, a great healer, a great leader was dead. Falsely accused. The victim of a false trial. Executed unjustly. But that's not my Jesus. One of the biographers of Jesus wrote this about Sunday morning. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. One of the other biographers uses the words trembling and bewildered. And the women run to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them, met the women, and said, Greetings. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they'll see me. So on that Easter morning, there's all this turbulence, all this sense of what's going on. The disciples come together because they hear from the women that Jesus is alive. It doesn't make any sense to them at all. And one of the other biographers picks up the story later in the day. It says, while the disciples were still talking about this, about the the conversation about Jesus being alive, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts raise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It's, it's I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him an enchilada. A fish taco? Uh, They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what's written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus said, Without my death and resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without my death and resurrection there is no escape from the stuff that enslaves us without my death and resurrection there is no hope without my death and resurrection there is no personal relationship with God without my death and resurrection there is no hope for eternal life no promise so how do we know if it's true if everything hinges on the resurrection how do we know if it really happened Because the resurrection is the whole enchilada. Some would say we just have to take it on faith. I don't think that's the case. There's no doubt Jesus was dead when he was taken off the cross. His pericardium, the sack around his heart, was pierced with a sword. It says blood and water came out. His heart had stopped beating at that point in time. There's no doubt Jesus' body was placed in a tomb and that soldiers guarded it to make sure that it wasn't stolen. After the resurrection, as many as 500 different people saw Jesus at one time in one place, and multiple people saw Jesus, interacted with him multiple times during those those five weeks or so. At least 11 of the eyewitnesses were tortured so that they would recant the story of the resurrection, so that they would say, oh no, it never happened. None of them did. The guys who fled in the garden when Jesus was arrested became martyrs because of the reality of the resurrection. The biographies of Jesus were written by eyewitnesses, first-person accounts, and the copies that we have of those biographies date to less than 100 years of when the originals were, lit, were written. That's stronger historical evidence than any event in ancient history. It doesn't take faith to believe that the resurrection is real. It just takes an examination of the facts. The Jesus who raised from the dead is the Jesus of history. The resurrection is what is what makes our celebration today dwarf anything that could happen in our lives. It's way, way better than anything that could happen in our lives, even a comeback win uh, over a team from Chicago. Um, think about that for a second, yeah. Uh, the Apostle, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the same guy who said that if the resurrection isn't true, we're most to be pitied, wrote these words in another letter. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of the resurrection, we can experience new life. We can experience a fresh start. We can experience every kind of change imaginable in our life. But unlike the DVD, it's not just a matter of saying, yeah, I'd like to have that. It really is giving everything up to follow Jesus. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection, and we can believe that it's real. For 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have celebrated the anniversary of the resurrection with these words. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. One more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's stand together. Let's sing.